Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today i am now not a gymnast anymore but i am still a child of god like i'm still who i was before and everything that was important about me then the most important things about me are still true now when i'm not a gymnast and i can say that now and i believe that in my heart but that's been something that's been a really big thing after doing something for 20 years and pouring your entire life into it, to have to work through that and kind of not have any of the things that you had before, any of the applause, any of those things that felt good and that at that time felt like kind of everything. Life is a journey and most of it is spent in the in-between, in the middle places. But every once in a while, you find yourself on the other side of something. These are the stories we are telling here. We believe that stories change the world. And we hope that when you hear stories of lives changed, obstacles overcome, lives broken, lives mended, and hope found, you'll actually see yourself in their stories. Now more than ever, we need each other and we need each other's stories. This is On the Other Side. Hey guys, we are the host of this show, On the Other Side. I'm Aaron Ivey. And I'm Jamie Ivey. And today's conversation is with one of my actual real-life friends. Yeah, on today's show, Jamie sat down with Becca Johnson to hear her story of life on the other side of a 20-year gymnastic career. Really, it's her story of being on the other side of her identity as a gymnast and having to remember what her true, unchanging identity is. I met Becca at church a few years ago and have loved getting to know her. I knew that she was a gymnast, and I even knew that she competed on a collegiate level, but I had no idea that she had a 20-year career or even what that would feel like to wake up one day and not be doing something that you had done every single day of your life before. Yeah, finding your identity in something for 20 years and then it's just gone one day would sure be difficult. Losing any part of yourself would be hard, and it's encouraging to hear how Becca has worked through this and the ways her parents prepared her for that journey before anyone ever knew the extent of how this would affect her emotionally. Her story is one everyone can relate to. Even if you've never been on a path to perform as an Olympic gymnast, you will still relate to her words. So here's Becca sharing about the last routine she ever performed as a gymnast. I remember the very last routine that I did so vividly. I can remember standing in front of the bar and I can remember the crowd. I can I can picture it right now just as I'm speaking because I knew that it was the end. I walked into my last competition knowing this is the last time that I'm ever competing and I can picture that and it is a really strange experience to have spent 20 years doing something and know that this is the last 30 seconds that I'm going to be doing it right now after all of this time. 
Um, I think, and I think I remember the weeks after that of not doing it. And I don't have a specific memory of like the morning of waking up and not doing it, but it's pretty, it's pretty vivid to me, the end of the career being over. How did you do on that last bar exercise? Um, I think I did a pretty good one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, um, the funny thing about bars is that it's done so quickly. And so, um, I, it's such like a, it's such a strange memory to be like, it happens so fast in the blink of an eye of this memory that I have. And it was like, I'm standing there and I went through this routine and gymnastics is so much a muscle memory. So you do a million routines to prepare and then you just have to let your body go. Um, you can't think about every single thing. You obviously have all of your mental um, things that you're telling yourself, but while you're doing it, it is, you're relying so much on the fact that you have done this so many times and your body knows how to do it and you have to let, just let yourself fly. And um, so I remember telling myself that. I remember doing the routine, landing it, saluting all the you know teammates come up and high five and then being like, oh my goodness, wow, it's done. Um, so yeah. It's pretty wild. You know, it's funny when you talk about that. I mean, I literally almost got tears in my eyes when you're talking about their last routine because although mm-hmm. I've never been a gymnast um, and I was never a collegiate athlete, there is this feeling that I think we all have as humans as when you pour your heart and your soul into something and then all of a sudden it's gone, whether that be a, a job, a hobby, a relationship, whatever it might be, for 20 years of your life, you were a gymnast. Yeah. And then now you've spent, you know, the last handful of years with a new identity, not being a gymnast anymore. And I think that's a lot for people to wrestle with. What does that look like for you of wrestling with your identity? I honestly think identity has been one of the biggest pieces of being on the other side of a gymnastics career because it is so consuming. It is absolutely everything that I did. I spent when I was growing up 20 hours a week doing it. And then in college we had the NCAA allowed 20 hours a week of practice. But then outside of that, I would do extra cardio, extra weight training. We would meet and do different things together as a team. And it was, it was everything. And so I think during that time, I grew up in a Christian home and I was a believer and I believed that my identity was in Christ. But ultimately what I was living out was very much that my identity was gymnastics and that like, that was what was feeding my approval idol. That was what was feeding my desire as an Enneagram three for like applause. And I'm, I'm literally living my life on a stage and people are clapping for me and I'm trying to get a 10.0 and I'm being judged for how far off of a 10.0 I'm getting. So to be able to think like I am loved and I am accepted and I am free not if I get a 10.0, but because of Jesus is really hard when your whole life is being devoted to that goal of, of winning and being on a stage and doing your sport. And so I think on the other side of that, there's been a lot of wrestling and like the day that it was over being like, okay, was my identity in gymnastics? Because now do I not feel like I have my identity anymore? And kind of having to wrestle through that idea of like, I am now not a gymnast anymore, and I, but I am still a child of God. Like I'm still who I was before and everything that was important about me then, the most important things about me are still true now. 
when I'm not a gymnast. And I can say that now and I believe that in my heart, but that's been something that's been a really big thing after doing something for 20 years and pouring your entire life into it to have to work through that and kind of not have any of the things that you had before, any of the applause, any of those things that felt good. And that at that time felt like kind of everything. You talked about you lived your life on the stage um, and that's what you did for 20 years. I mean, the way you described it was like, that's what we do. We look at people in whatever craft, art, whatever they're doing and then judge them. You you, you either did good or you did bad, like, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. How has that affected you today? I know you described it a little bit with knowing that you're truly loved no matter what, but how, what is it like to be on the other side of being judged so intensely for every single thing that you did? Yeah, I think um, it comes out in different ways now for me, just knowing that that was such a big part of my life and that I was judged so much on physically. I was judged on what I was doing. It was about every little thing physically that you did in your routine is what you were judged on and how you looked and how you performed and just everything. And so now I think there's a lot of ways that it comes out. I can be really critical of myself now because there's no one being critical of me. And well, there are people, of course, being critical of me in different ways, but not in the same way as that, where I'm literally being judged by someone with a pen and paper writing down everything that I did wrong right. or it yeah. doesn't look good um, from my routine. And so I think it's easy for me to then kind of take on that role of being the judge and nitpicking things about myself and picking things about what I do and not living into the freedom that's on the other side of not having that anymore. I think obviously with like physically, I was in the best shape of my life at that time. And um, it was one of those things where you're pouring your whole life into something and you're, again, you're on a stage. People are looking at you, you're wearing a leotard. <laughs> right. Naked, I've seen those leotard. leotards and I want to know where some things are in those yeah, leotards. That, that, that's not a forgiving thing right there <laughs> to be wearing a leotard on a stage. And so um, there's a lot of effort that goes into making your body as fit as you can. And um, both for your sport, because you can be more, you can be better at your sport when you have lean muscle, but obviously also to look good. And that was, that became an idol for a lot of us on our team. And on the other side of that now is, me comparing myself to myself and looking back at myself as to a your gymnast 20 self. year old. Yeah. Yes. I find myself doing that so much. And, you know, they always say like, don't compare yourself to other people, compare yourself to yourself and always try to be your best self. And I, I did that in gymnastics. I, I think we did a good job on our team of all kind of competing with ourselves and not always trying to compete with each other because we were truly a team. But now I, I do that. And I'm like, I'm still competing with myself, but it's with the fittest, most incredible version of myself of someone that my whole, I was getting paid to look good or not to look good, but you know, to be in a really good shape. And that just came up this week, even as I was thinking about processing this and thinking about the way that I'm doing workouts now and it's healthy to stay in shape. And I love working out and I love exercising, but to let myself not go to a place of saying, I, I, I need to not look in the mirror and say that I'm not enough and that I am not 
that I don't look good because I don't look the way that I did when I was 20 years old and a collegiate gymnast. And just deciding to look in the mirror and say, I am enough because Jesus says that I am. Um, And that's a really hard thing. It's a hard thing every single day. And especially when I have that comparison. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. I recently was listening to an entire podcast about U.S. gymnastics and they interviewed a bunch of women and they were talking about the coach Bella Caroli and it was, it was really interesting. Um, but I want to know for you, being a college athlete, um, and I know gym, gymnastics, you said you were putting in you know 20 hours a week that they let you and then as a child, you're spending 20 hours at the gym. That is a lot of pressure on a young child. It's a lot of pressure on a college athlete. I mean, collegiate athletes are just amazing and their bodies do great things and, and, and we cheer for them and it's entertainment, all the things. But that pressure of even um, performing um, by your coaches, by your teammates, h- how does one handle when that's over? Because I think, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that sometimes the people who thrive in those situations, that pressure doesn't break them. It makes them better. Um, You know, the reason maybe I wasn't a college athlete is because maybe I'd be crying in the corner if somebody yelled at me, Uh, but but you weren't crying in the corner, you were performing. And so I, I often wonder, how does someone go from 20 years of very intense training, teaching, leadership, and then you did your last routine, you went home that night, you eventually graduated college, and now you work in marketing. How, how, what has that been like for you, that switch? Such a strange transition, for real. I think one thing about that pressure is that that pressure was coming from a lot of external places. It was coming, like you said, from coaches, from teammates and judges and the audience and all all the people that are watching. And there's inherent pressure, of course, in sport, but a lot of it too came from myself and from me wanting to do my best. And now on the other side, living in this world without gymnastics, it's changing that into kind of putting it in different places. And so I'll put pressure on work. I'll put pressure on myself and discipline in different areas, but kind of letting that not. Um, Do you thrive in pressure? I definitely think I, I thrived in pressure. I'm not saying what you went through was bad. Hear me say that. I'm saying it has to feel different than what you experience in regular quote unquote normal life. And so what you're saying is you find that in other ways and you do that in different areas of your life and you thrive under that pressure. Yeah. So during gymnastics, I think the pressure felt 
like I was thriving under it. And it was something that I really enjoyed. And I felt like I was able to be like mentally strong and kind of how I was saying before, there's this ability with a routine to get yourself to a place where the pressure, I didn't feel this overwhelming pressure. I didn't feel like I was, um, it was anxiety inducing, of course. And when you have a crowd around you and you're feeling, you're feeling so much adrenaline, you're feeling like there's a lot on the line for sure. But I didn't feel in that moment, like I didn't know how it was going to go. I felt like I could say, okay, I know what's on the line. I'm going to turn it on and I know what I'm doing. I know what my body needs to do and I can just do that. And there aren't a lot of opportunities actually for that in on the other side of sport. Like yeah. in my life right now, I think I do put pressure on myself in different ways with, like I said, work and still working out and different places where I can kind of feed that in, in different ways, because I'm prone kind of to do that, to be in this discipline. You don't do a sport for 20 years and you have to have so much discipline in that. And then on the other side, kind of just like let everything go. Right. And you could, but I think that's been one area where there's been me finding different places now to kind of put pressure on myself and find discipline. But what I think was really cool was that people were reminding me that my identity was not in that sport. And my mom actually would tell me that the three keys to success were attitude, effort, and honesty. And that a key to success was not winning and the key mm. to success was not getting a 10.0. And um, those three things, attitude, effort, and honesty are all things that I could control and not things that I can't. And so I could say like, I'm going to give my best effort. I'm going to have a good attitude and I'm going to be honest in everything that I do. And then I could say that I was successful. And no matter how much pressure I crumbled under, which I crumbled under pressure all the time, I fell all the time. And in college, I felt more confident. But when I was younger, it was a lot of failing. And to be reminded that that doesn't have to do with who I am. That mm -hmm. has to do with the fact that I'm in a sport that's hard. And I'm going to make mistakes and I have to get back up and keep trying. And um, one other thing I remember is my dad, before every competition, he would tell me, and I, when I was younger, I think I felt more of that pressure and crumbled under it more and just was overwhelmed by the sport and kind of felt more nervous. And my dad would always tell me, so you have to get a, you're striving to get a 10.0. And so that's context for this quote that he would say, which is, um, he would say, Becca, just remember that no matter what happens, you'll always be a 10 to me. And it was just one of, it was, it's, it's kind of cheesy and so cute, but it was one of those things growing up that I, I believed that. And, and he would say, you'll always be a 10 to me and, and Jesus, <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> um, you'll always be a 10 because even if you get a bad score, that's not going to change the way that I see you. That's not going to change how much I love you. And that's how Jesus sees me too. And accepting that and knowing that and realizing that no matter how much pressure I'm under or crumble under, or even if I do awesome, when I get those applauses and when I get a good score, it's still not who I am. Yeah, That's sometimes even the harder one is to not let that then become an idol of saying, okay, now this is who I am because I'm really good at this. So... I think I'm going to have a family meeting tonight and go through attitude, effort, and honesty. I love that yeah. so very much. Um, I have a question for you that I don't know that I know the answer to. Did you dream of 
even as a child or even as you got older of going professional with gymnastics? The thing with gymnastics is that you often have to go professional by the time you're like 16 years old. So um, I never did think about that. And that's because by the time I was trying to go for potentially the 2008 Olympics is what I would have had to do because that's when I would have been about 16 years old. And so my mom decided that, not my mom, but we decided together that that wouldn't have been good because I would have been only 15. And then by the next Olympics, I would have been 19. And so it's this weird timing thing where you have to be so incredibly young to actually go after the Olympics. And these days it's changed a little bit and there's been some older Olympians, but it used to be very much that if you were not 16 and your prime, prime age of your body, then you're probably not going to make it. And so that kind of changed the course of the way that I went and I didn't pursue moving down to Texas and moving to the ranch where I would go and train and that there were talks of that and we definitely discussed that, but that's kind of when you would go professional if you were really going to be a top Olympian, which is decided crazily for children when they're crazy. So, so young. So um, that was never a part of it. Looking back on that, are you grateful for that decision? So, so, so grateful. It was one of those things that it was a conversation between my family. It wasn't just my parents deciding that for me, but they had a huge part in that. And when I'm 12 years old, I'm not going to be able to use the same kind of wisdom and discernment that they were able to use in that time to say, we love our child. We love her dream. We love her goals and her commitment and her drive to the sport. And I loved it. And they loved that for me. But they also knew that they wanted me to have a life. They wanted me to be able to have friends. They wanted me to be able to go on trips with the family. And it was one of those things where it was already very consuming for me. And so if that would have been the goal to then go and move away or homeschool or make it even more of a thing than it already was, it would have been more of a life change. And I wouldn't have been able to have the childhood that I had. I wouldn't have been able to have more of a balanced life, even though 20 hours a week of gymnastics, some people are gonna be like, balanced, that's crazy. (laughs) And it was, but it was also wonderful. And it also gave me um, the opportunity to do the sport that I loved in a way that was good for me and my family. And so I think at that time, it was hard for me to be like, I want to do this thing. I want to go to the Olympics. Every girl wants to go to the Olympics, but also realizing that that would cause sacrifices that go far beyond myself. It would be for my entire family. And it would also change my life in a way that I would really be only doing gymnastics. And so, yeah, I think it was a huge grace that that was the route that I went and that I was able to continue to do it. And then I was able to do it in college and just take the path that I did. I love that. Um, I read recently that out of college athletes competing in 24 sports every year, um, half a million, there are half a million NCAA student athletes. Okay. It's a lot of kids competing at a college level sport. Um, of those half a million, about fewer than 2% will go on to play professional sports. And so the life that you're living, the, what you're talking about, this idea of, you know, you're pouring your heart and soul into something for so many years and then it's abruptly over is the scenario and story for a lot of people. Um, I want two pieces of encouragement from you. I want the first to be an encouragement to parents who are parenting athletes, you know, 
jokingly, I've said, I really wish that one of my kids would play college sports so I could, Aaron and I could get an RV and we could drive around and, and you know, go watch them do everything. So what is your, I, I want to give some advice because your parents did something really well with you as an elite athlete. And then also just talk to those people who are going to be right where you are. They're going to have poured their heart and soul into something for 20 years and it's going to be over. So give me those two pieces of advice. I would say for parents, I think something that my parents did really well was cherish the time that I was an athlete um, and support me really beautifully in it in a way that made me feel like I had their full support, but that also it wasn't it wasn't the reason that they loved me at all. Like that was not the key thing for them for me. It was because I was me and not because I was this gymnast. And so um they cherished it and came to every meet that they possibly could and cheered their hearts out for me. And, um, and I felt that. And I remember that. I remember them coming to every meet. I remember looking up in the stands and seeing them. I can picture it now. Mm-hmm. And um, that means everything. That, that's really special to me now as I don't have the sport anymore and to know that they just supported in that way. And I don't think even at that time, they probably... They were just supporting their child and they were just going and um, being there for me. And I think to see a familiar face in the stands was so comforting for me and to just get to see them. And and they just reminded me so much of the fact that they loved me for me and not for what I did and how I performed and that was so important for me as I was putting that pressure on myself of if I didn't do well and I would be moping around and I would be sad. And they had so much grace for me in the way that I handled gymnastics and just reminded me of things that I needed to hear. Um, They spoke so much truth into me and my identity um, when I couldn't speak that to myself because I'm a kid and I'm, and I'm so hard on myself and they were the ones very often having to remind me, who I am in Christ. Mm -hmm. And then I think something I would say about people who are also in this place is I was going to the women's retreat or women's workshop for the stone earlier this year. And the speaker was Nancy Guthrie. And she just said something so profound that was everything that is important about you has already been said by Jesus the most important things about me have already been said by Jesus and none of them have to do with my sport. None of them have to do with gymnastics. And that was a way that I kind of like put context into that for this. And that has to do with everything in my life. But I think that's so big for me to think about sport is good and it was fun and it was amazing for me. It taught me so much. It shaped me into the person that I am today more than anything else because it was what I spent time doing more than anything else for my entire life. And I'm only five years out of doing it. And so it is good, but reminding myself that it will never satisfy my deepest longing. It will never satisfy my deepest desire and as much applause or approval or anything that I can get from it. It is not enough because Jesus is better than that. And if my identity is in my sport, fully, or even if it's in my sport too much, 
it's going to crumble so hard when it's over. And I did experience some of that. I for sure felt like the world was spinning and I was like, I don't have this thing anymore. But on the other side, seeing the way that the Lord has just held me and kept me and reminded me constantly that he is the only one and that sport is beautiful and good, but that it's not, it's not it. Um, that's been really big for me for as someone who spent so much time doing it. So I'm, I would just encourage people who are in sport right now or people who are coming to the end of their sport um, to just remind yourself and to let the Lord remind you of the way that he sees you and the way that you are his child and you're redeemed and set free, not from anything that you do, but because of who you are in him. I love that. And it makes me think, you know, although I'm definitely not coming out of a, you know, a 20 year of sporting career, but I think about there are lots of other ways that this is applicable to our lives. You know, you you get to the end. I have six more years with kids living at my house and then that's going to be a journey that was over. You know, I spent, I will have spent, you know, 24 years raising children. And then all of a sudden it's not like I don't raise kids anymore, but it'll be completely different you know, or someone who has spent years at the same job and then God calls them elsewhere. And that is the end of the season. And that is an end of a thing, you know, or people who have been missionaries overseas and then God calls them home. So there's so many seasons in our life that are going to come to an abrupt end. And remembering where we find our identity, I think is so good. And I can't help but see just in you speaking, the small nuggets that your parents put Mm -hmm. inside of you, not knowing how much you would need them on the other side of your gymnastics journey. And so that is really beautiful for me to hear you talk about. Oh, I'm so glad you were able to sit down with your friend, Becca. What a vulnerable and honest conversation about life on the other side of 20 years of competitive gymnastics. I'm not sure I would have realized how hard that transition would have been. Yeah, me neither. I was not expecting that. And it makes me think about the difficulties that might be happening for so many people who are transitioning out of something that they have found so much of their identity in. I, of course, loved it when Becca's mom said that the three keys to success were attitude, effort, and honesty, and that a key to success was not winning. Yeah, that's so good. Something we should probably incorporate in our own parenting too. Thank you, Becca, for your story of being on the other side of a new identity. Friends, this is the last episode for season one. Uh, We hope you've loved these stories as much as we did. And we cannot wait for season two to release sometime in 2021. In fact, if you want to stay up to date with all the things on the other side, text OTOS to 55444. If you've got an amazing on the other side story to share, be sure to visit our website to share with us your story. Our website is on the other side podcast.co. That's on the other side podcast.co. Today's show was mixed and mastered by the team at Podshaper. The music was created for the show by Matt Graham, and On the Other Side is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. We're your hosts, Jamie and Aaron, and you can find both of us on Instagram. You can find me at Aaron Ivy ATX. And you can find me at Jamie Ivy. Find the show and keep up with all things on Instagram as well at On The Other Side Pod. Guys, thanks for a great season. We'll see you next year. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.